Your works do not save you. And you do not get to heaven because of your works. But once you are in heaven, you will be rewarded according to your works. And everything that we do here on this earth is preparing us for what we might do when we get to heaven. This morning, I want to talk to you about just two things that I believe will happen to the church, to the redeemed during the tribulation. First of all, the rapture is going to take place where you are going to be relocated from earth to the presence of God in heaven. And then after the rapture takes place, the very next thing that is going to happen for believers is this, and that is we will be judged. You say, now hold on just a minute, Pastor. I thought that if we were believers, and if we've settled our case at the cross, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we won't be judged when we get to heaven. Well, you will not be judged for your sin. You're not going to be judged to determine whether or not you're going to be allowed entrance into heaven because you're already in heaven. But this judgment is a judgment according to your works. It's a judgment where you will be rewarded according to your works that you have done from the moment that you got saved until the moment that you stood before the Lord or before, uh, before you died or when the rapture took place. So you will, be, you will be judged based upon that lifespan between the time you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and the time that you died or the time that you accepted Jesus Christ until the time that the rapture took place. Notice what the Bible says about this judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. It says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. But now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, who is Jesus Christ. Now, he's talking about the building of the church. And he said the foundation has already been laid. And the foundation is Jesus Christ. He is who we build on. He is what we build our lives on. He is the foundation. And there is no other foundation other than Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Now he's talking about the works that you and I do to glorify the Father. The works that we do from the moment that we are saved, the good works that we do from the moment that we are saved until the moment we die or until the rapture takes place. And he said it this way. He said, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. And then he compares our works to gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. And really what he's doing when he compares our work to these kinds of things is that he's going to judge us based upon how genuine our works were. Did we do our works in the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God? Or were we doing things that had no eternal value in order just to bring glory to ourselves? And notice what he says. He goes on and he says, but on the judgment day, which will happen for believers right after the rapture of the church. It's called the Bema judgment. And he said, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. 
And he said that the fire will show if a person's work has any value. That gold, those silver, those precious stones, the wood, the hay, those kinds of things, God's going to put fire to it. And what is real and genuine, what has value to it, will survive the fire, and what doesn't will not survive the fire. You see, this is not only a time where we are being judged in order to be rewarded for our works, but this is also a time where God is going to prepare and God is going to purify the bride of Christ to be wed to the groom, Jesus Christ, in heaven. Read on. Bible tells us in verse 14 that if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. So after that fire has revealed what's genuine works and what is not genuine, what it was done in the power and for the glory of God, what has survived the fire, we will be rewarded for that. We will not be rewarded for those things that did not survive the fire. Wouldn't it be horrible to get to heaven and when the fire is set to our works, there was nothing left for us to be rewarded for? And that will happen, unfortunately, in the case of some people's lives. But notice in verse 15, it says, But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the walls of flames. Now, how many of you have ever seen on TV or maybe some of you have experienced a fire at your house before? But when there is a fire, people get out of that house as quickly as they can. And the only thing that they grab when they're trying to get out of a burning house is they only try to get those things that are most precious to them. First, they're going to get family members out. Hopefully, that will be the first, the first thing that you will do is to try to save your family members. And then you'll try to grab a few things that are precious and valuable to you. But even though you got out of the house that was burning, even though you escaped it, even though you were saved, you lost a lot of your possessions. And that's what he's talking about, that on the judgment day, that when the fire of God is put to our works, unfortunately, there's going to be many who are going to suffer much loss and have little left to be rewarded according to. So it's a judgment where God judges us according to our works in order to reward us accordingly. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10 about this. He said, so whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. And then he says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. That's every believer. Every single one of us will stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we've done in this earthly body. Now that tells me three things about our judgment. Number one, it tells me that we will be judged fairly. We will not be able to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ because understand the scripture says this is the judgment seat of Christ. And he knows all things. You may want to speak up and try to defend yourself, but you will just be able to know when you look into his piercing eyes and his piercing eyes look at you, you will just be able to know that he knows all things that I have ever done. And he will judge accordingly. But not only will it be a fair judgment, but secondly, the Bible says that we will all be judged individually. 
Each one of us, the Bible says, we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. So one by one by one, we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and he will judge us and reward us according to our works. Paul said it like this in Romans 14, 10 and 12. He said, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Do you know how arrogant it is to be judgmental of other people? Because when you judge other people, and isn't it amazing that we judge everybody else according to their actions, but we judge ourselves according to our intentions, don't we? But everybody else gets judged according to their actions. And it's so arrogant to be judgmental of other people because what you are saying when you judge other people is, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. And so he says, here he says, why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So it's going to be a judgment that we stand before him individually. And then thoroughly, we are, thirdly, we will be judged thoroughly. Because listen to what the scripture says. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. And that word stand before has the meaning of all things will be laid bare. Because Jesus will be able to see all things. Notice what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 4 and 5. He said, don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. So each one of us is going to stand before him. We're going to be judged according to our works. Our deepest, darkest secrets. Secrets will be revealed as will our motives. The reason why, not just what we did, but the reason why we did it. And if we did not do it with the right motives, then it will not survive the fire and you will not be rewarded for it. Let me show you some things that the scripture says will survive the fire that you will be rewarded for. First of all, in Matthew 5, he said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. When you're persecuted because of your faith, when you're persecuted because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you refused to accept the truth of this culture that says there really are more than one way to God, when you refuse to accept and live your life according to that truth when you remain faithful to the word of God and you say no there's only one way to God the Father and Jesus said I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one can come to the Father except through me when you take that kind of stand in this culture now you're going to be persecuted you're going to be given a hard time from it but here's what God said God said instead of trying to defend yourself and instead of trying to get angry here's what he said he said be happy about it be glad about it because if you endure it with the right attitude he said you are going to receive a great reward in heaven here's something else that he said will survive the fire in Luke chapter 14 verses 12 through 14 he turned to his host and he said when you put on a luncheon or a banquet he said don't invite your friends brothers relatives and rich neighbors 
for they will invite you back and that will be your only reward. But here's what he said, instead invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. In other words, God wants us to have compassion for hurting people. God wants us to have compassion for the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. And God wants us to reach out and minister to them even though we know they could never repay us. Even though we know they could never do anything in return for us. God will instead reward you because of your compassion. And then notice another in Luke chapter 6 verse 35. He said, love your enemies. Do good to them. Let me say that again. Love your enemies. He doesn't say just love those people that are easy to love. He's saying, love the unlovely. Love your enemies. And then he says, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Let me ask you, when is the last time you were kind to somebody who was unthankful? When is the last time that you were kind to somebody who was wicked? Because the Bible tells us that when we are, that God has a reward waiting on us in heaven. No, I didn't say the works would be easy. But I'm telling you, if you can do these kinds of works for the glory of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit, that when you stand before the Lord, these kinds of things will survive the fire and you will be rewarded accordingly. So the first thing that's going to happen during that seven years of tribulation is we're going to stand before God and we're going to be judged according to our works and rewarded. But not only, as I said, is this time of judgment a time of just getting our rewards, it's also a time when God is cleansing, when God is preparing, when God is purifying the church who is identified in Scripture as the bride of Christ. And the reason why is because the next thing after the judgment that you and I are going to celebrate is this. And that is, we are going to be wed. There is going to be a wedding that's going to take place in heaven. And many people believe that it's this marriage and the marriage supper of the Lamb that's going to be taking place the entire seven years while the tribulation is going on down here on the earth. The church will be in heaven where we will be getting married to Jesus Christ and celebrating at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, here's what's interesting, and that is that in Jewish culture, a wedding or the marriage supper after the wedding would last for seven days. How long is the tribulation? The tribulation is seven years. But it lasted as long as the groom could afford it. If the groom didn't have a lot of resources, then it might just last a day or two or two or three. But if he had a lot of resources, that marriage supper would last for seven days. Can I tell you, God doesn't lack any resources. 
Amen. And I believe that we're going to be spending our time in heaven during the tribulation. Not only will it be a time of purification and preparation at the judgment seat and reward, but it's also going to be a time when we are going to be married as the bride of Christ. We're going to be married to the groom who is Jesus Christ. And then we're going to celebrate that marriage at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. What a celebration. And and look at this, in Revelation 19, it tells us about it. It says, then I heard again what sounded like the shout. And this is is John. He's getting his vision of how things are going to unfold in the last days. And he said, I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd. Can I tell you, there will be a vast crowd of people in heaven. He said, I heard it like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves. Or the crash of loud thunder. And here's what he said. I heard them saying, praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And then he said this in verse 7. He said, let us be glad and rejoice. This is a festive occasion. This is a celebratory occasion now that is going to be taking place. He said, it's time to be glad. It's time to rejoice. And then he said, and let us give honor to him. Let me say that again. Let's give honor to him. Now, I think you've been to enough weddings to know that weddings are not about him. Weddings are about her. And that bride wants to look the best that she can possibly look. Because she knows that when she walks in, all eyes are going to be on the bride. And then the bride comes in. They don't sing it anymore, but used to sing, here comes the bride. But not on this day. It's not going to be about the bride. It's going to be about the groom. Amen. And we're going to be, we're going to, all of our focus and all of our attention is not going to be on the bride. It's going to be on the groom. And when the groom walks in, everybody is going to look at him and say, wow, look how good he looks. Looks how, look, look how glorified he looks. Look how awesome he looks. He, 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 he just emanates love and grace and, and mercy. But it says that we're going to give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? John the Baptist identified him when he looked up while he was baptizing people and saw Jesus coming into the Jordan River to be baptized by him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world he is the lamb and it says that his bride has prepared herself that's what just happened at the judgment seat of Christ but not only that everything that you and I do here on this earth now you need to understand that what you do your works do not save you and you do not get to heaven because of your works but once you are in heaven you will be rewarded according to your works and everything that we do here on this earth is preparing us for what we might do when we get to heaven. So we are preparing ourselves for the place that we are going to and for the wedding that we are going to enjoy. And then he goes on and says, she has been given, talking now about the bride, she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. And notice that the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. It's been put to the fire. The only thing that survived the fire were the good deeds. So that now the body, so that now the bride of Christ 
past remains pure and white and holy to be presented now to the groom. And notice what happens in verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Let me just tell you real quickly about a Jewish wedding. Because in a Jewish wedding, and I know some of you kids aren't going to like this. I probably wouldn't have liked this growing up either. You didn't choose who you were going to marry. Your parents chose who you were going to marry. The parents of the bride and the parents of the groom is the one that chose. Can I tell you that Father God is the one who chose the groom and he's also the one who chose who the bride would be. Amen? And the bride is the church and the groom is Christ Jesus. But not only that, after the parents had decided, then they would enter into, the couple would enter into an engagement period. But engagement then and many times now in a Jewish culture is so different from engagement today. It would, it would last anywhere between a year or two because that engagement period is actually a time of testing as to whether or not they were going to be faithful to one another. Now you know why Joseph, the mother or the, the, the husband of Mary, got so upset when he found out that during their engagement, she had gotten pregnant. And so he wanted to put her away privately. He wanted to divorce her because she had not stayed faithful to him during that engagement period. But of course, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, listen, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you argue with that? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. She has been impregnated by the Holy Spirit himself and she is going to give birth to the Messiah. So there would be that engagement period. And then after the engagement period, when it gets closer to the time for the marriage ceremony, here's what would happen. The groom, get this, the groom would have to go with a dowry and give it to the parents of the bride. What's a dowry? It's an amount of money or property that was determined by the parents of the bride. And before the groom could marry her, he had to pay that dowry. And many times that dowry was more than he could afford. Somebody say amen that you don't still have to pay a dowry. Yes, you do have to buy a wedding band or you do have to buy an engagement ring. But at least the parents were not the ones that determined how much you were going to have to pay to marry their daughter. Now, they may determine that after you marry her, but they don't, they don't do it before you marry her. And so there was the dowry that had to be paid. And then after the dowry was paid, listen to this, then the prospective groom would go back to his father's house and he would build an additional room to his father's house, making room now for his bride. And when the room was completed and when the room was finished, then he would go with the invited guests and he would go to the house of his bride and he would invite her to come and they would then have the marriage celebration. And then after the marriage celebration, they would enjoy the marriage supper. Well, let's compare that because after the marriage supper, here's what would happen. Then they would come out and the husband would have his bride on her arm and they would both be revealed together. 
Notice now when you go to Scripture, I want you to see how this all plays out in Scripture as it relates to the bride of Christ and to the groom. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3 talks about our engagement to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way. He said, guys, I'm your spiritual father. And he said, I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. He said, I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. I betrothed you. You are engaged to Christ. But he said, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. In other words, during this engagement period, and right now you and I, we are engaged to Christ. We are betrothed to Christ. But Paul's concern was during this engagement period is that we would be unfaithful. That we would maybe believe some false doctrine or we would begin to do some things that were not uh, pleasing to God that somehow that faithfulness would have been corrupted but we see in this passage of scripture that right now you and I we are engaged to the groom we, we, we are betrothed to the groom who is Jesus Christ. What was after the engagement? The dowry. Notice in Revelation 5, 9, and 10, there was a dowry that had to be paid. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you know what this is saying? This is saying that Jesus paid the dowry and it was a high price nobody else but him could pay it and the only price that could have been paid was his life and his shed blood but Jesus paid the dowry so that you and I could become his bride and the scripture goes on and says that he caused us to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth and then the next thing is he would go and prepare the room at his father's house and when the room was finished he would then go and get his bride and he would bring her back to his father's house and that's where they would reside together forever. John chapter 14 beginning at verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Do you know what the bride is doing right now? He is preparing a place for us. He's getting things ready where we will abide with him forever after the marriage ceremony. And then he goes on and says, when everything is ready, when the room is complete, when everything is prepared, he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Amen. And then after that, there was the invited guests that would come to the celebration. Notice in Matthew chapter 8 verse 11 who the invited guests are to the marriage supper of the lamb he said I tell you this that many Gentiles will come from all over the world from east and west and they're going to sit down check this out with Abraham Isaac Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven can you imagine now listen I know you've seen some pretty big marriage ceremonies here you know back when Princess Diana got married the whole world was watching this wedding and there was some really important guests at that wedding but that wedding does not compare to this wedding that is to come when you and I get to heaven and we're presented to our groom oh thank God we're going to have guests like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Elijah and Elisha and King David all of the saints of old are going to be invited to enjoy this feast with us at the marriage supper 
of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to be getting excited about this. Amen. What a celebration it's going to be. And then guess who's going to serve us when we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb? This blows me away. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself, Jesus, the groom, will seat them. He'll put an apron on and he'll serve them as they sit and as they eat. And you know how you're going to feel at that moment? You're going to feel exactly the same way Peter felt. When Jesus tried to wash Peter's feet and Peter said, No, Lord, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus looked at him and said, But Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have any part in me. And that's when Peter said, Well, then just wash me from head to toe. (laughs) And you're going to want to serve him. But he's going to be serving us. And what will that meal look like? What's going to be served at the marriage supper of the Lamb? I don't know for sure. But I think Luke 22 gives us some kind of an idea. That Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after supper he took a cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Paul said that when we take of communion, that when we share the Lord's supper together, that we do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns So you see, every time that we share together in Holy Communion, we're not just doing it to go through a ritual. First of all, we're doing it so that we can be reminded of what Jesus did in order to make our salvation possible. That he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Yes, we celebrate everything Jesus did to make salvation possible. But every time we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are also saying that we are anticipating that moment when we will fully and finally be sharing in the wedding of the Lord. Jesus Christ when we will be made one with him once and for all and we will forever be with the Lord hallelujah so we're not just celebrating what he did we're celebrating what he's going to do because listen to how he said it here in Matthew 26 and 29 he said mark my words I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom There's a reason why it was called the Last Supper. It was the Last Supper that he had with his disciples before he was crucified. The Last Supper that he would have with them before he would go to the cross and give his life as a ransom for every one of us. But he said, the next time I have a meal with you, it'll be in my Father's kingdom. (laughs) It'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And oh, what a day that shall be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face and thank Him for His saving grace. Then He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day. What a glorious day that will be. 
but it's not over yet. Because once this wedding is over and the marriage supper of the Lamb has been complete, Paul tells us that when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of His glory. In other words, when Jesus comes back to earth again at the end of the tribulation to establish his millennial reign for a thousand years, you know who's going to be on his arms? The church. The bride of Christ. And it's not going to be him that says, hey, I outkicked my coverage. No, it's going to be us. It says, I outkicked my coverage. I married way up. Because... He will walk out with the bride of Christ on his arms. And we will be revealed with him in his glory. Hallelujah. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God. Being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.